Welcome to Health Matters, Sonoma's weekly program devoted to health and well-being. Each week, through interviews, editorials, and listener participation, we will explore topics and issues of contemporary medicine and its relationship to the lifestyles of our community. Our goal is to provide you with information and resources to help you achieve and maintain what you deserve, a happy, healthy, and productive life. We're your hosts, Ned Hoke and Adam Lehman. Greetings, and welcome back to Health Matters. This is Dr. Ned Hoke of Natural Methods Healthcare in Sonoma, California. As you've just been told, the name of our program is Health Matters. We're at ksvy.org on the net, and we're here each Wednesday at this time for an hour of health topic, digestion, and discussion. Today we'll be joined by our first guest. We'll be will be joined by Dr. John R. Shear, who's a family medicine practitioner and president of the California Physicians Alliance. And our principal discussion will be around the subject of single payer. And uh, Dr. Shear is a uh, very active member of the single payer, uh, the pro single payer community. And he'll be joining us in just a few minutes, uh, and we'll be getting a chance to kind of get an update and, onto that story and uh, have a full discussion. Uh, and I w- encourage any of you who have questions for a single-payer proponent who is very sophisticated on that topic, I suggest that you get ready to make your call. I'll give you our call-in numbers now before Dr. Shears joins us. Our call-in number is <clears throat> excuse me, 933 Nine one three. Forgive me. Nine three three nine one three three. Or if you're out of uh, the area, seven zero seven nine three three nine one three three. That's for our call-ins, which we'll be taking. Uh, I'll announce it uh, soon down the road. Anyway, we'll expect Dr. Shears with us in just a moment. Then the last half of our program will be joined by Joan Hugard, who's a columnist here at the Snot, the Sun, the Sonoma Sun, and she's going to be talking about the. Uh, Recent last weekend, the picnic, the first annual picnic for uh, Department of Peace group at uh, Depot Park, which I was uh, hoping to join, but because I had a seminar last weekend, I couldn't make it. So we'll be hearing from uh, Just Joan. She's the columnist you all know. She's a columnist for The Sun, and she's an international traveler and is a healthcare policy advocate herself and a, a social justice advocate herself as well. So that will be the last half of our program. So uh, given that Dr. Shear is not yet with us, what I, I might start doing is just reading some comments that he made, that he published actually in the uh, Sonoma Medicine, which is the physician's journal in uh, the, the, the county of Sonoma, the magazine of the Sonoma County Medical Association. And it's it's called The Case for Single Payer by doc, Dr. John R. R. Shear, MD. This was the fall of 2002. Dr. Shear writes, the healthcare crisis in Sonoma County is a local manifestation of a systemic failure of healthcare delivery across the United States. The system, or non-system we now cope with, is a complicated, inefficient mix of public and private health insurance. The goals of private insurance in- insurers involve business considerations much of the time. Competition, marketing, private insurers involve uh, CEO salaries and profits. Insurance premiums paid for health care are diverted and wasted by billions of middlemen expenses. At the same time, the state and federal budget considerations undermine realistic f- supports for such programs as Medicare, Medicaid, and others. 
the public-private system has been modified many times, and the situation. Here's John now. So let's stay. Let's go right to John. John, are you with us? Hello, Hello, Dr. Shearer. Dr. Shearer, thank you so much for calling. I was just beginning to read your case for single-payer that you published at the fall of uh, 2002. So thanks so much for joining us today on Health Matters. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. Well, um, I guess you're really the – I don't know if you're I – won't, I won't put a label on you, but you're somebody who's been carrying this message for such a long time. And, of course, you're obviously up to date on all the sort of different pieces of it. Maybe what we should start with is, is – uh, uh, for those of our listeners who are not basically familiar with uh, the single-payer principle and the single-payer and what it means to you as a practicing physician, I realize that's a great big mouthful. Uh, how should we start in this discussion for, the, for our listeners who are not as acquainted as, as some might be? Uh, well, what I'd suggest is, uh, first of all, let me just define a couple of uh, principles uh, that uh, can lead to some confusion if we don't really understand what we mean by them, because I'll be repeating them often. Okay. And then uh, what I'll do is just, uh, as briefly as I can, go over just a little bit of the uh, history and uh, of the um, single-payer concept, uh, basically in California. Right. And uh, then outline uh, the proposal on the table for single-payer in California today. Splendid. Thank you. Now, first of all, I'd just like to say uh, two terms that can cause a little confusion sometimes. Uh, one is universal health care, and the other is single payer. Uh, universal health care means just one thing. It just means that uh, everyone in a certain political uh, entity, like a nation, or as we'll be talking about quite a bit, a state, California, uh, has uh, health care coverage, and it means everyone. Nobody's excluded. All the residents within that political entity, be it a nation or a state such as California, are covered by uh, health insurance. Uh, the uh, term single payer uh, refers to the fact that instead of multiple payers of uh, health care benefits, such as we have in our current system with insurance companies, various government entities, uh, is replaced by a single pair, which uh, almost always means a government. And in the case of a nation, should we have uh, universal health care in the United States uh, paid for by a single payer mechanism, then it would be a national uh, single payer universal health care. If it were the state of California, it would be a state universal mm-hmm. single payer health care. Right, right. Now, uh, single payer uh, as a concept got off the ground <clears throat> about 15 years ago, health care policy analysts uh, used as a model many of the uh, industrialized countries, particularly in Europe, that over the uh, decades have um, uh, developed a a single-payer universal health care system. And uh, most of what we uh, have today is modeled at least basically on those systems which uh, have worked very well for the people in their countries. Uh, In fact, Bismarck in 1886 was the author of the first uh, single-payer health care system for uh, Prussia, Mm -hmm. and it's been building ever since. Mm -hmm. Um, It's gone through several stages in uh, California and uh, finally has uh, culminated in California as a uh, Senate bill, uh, Senate Bill 840, SB 840. The author is State Senator Sheila Kuehl of Santa Monica, uh, who has uh, 
uh, presented the bill uh, in the Senate and the Assembly uh, last year. It passed both houses and uh, advanced to the governor's desk, where, as threatened, he vetoed the uh, bill. It was reintroduced this year and is uh, put on the shelf, is inactive right at the moment. It passed uh, several committee tests again this year. Uh, since the governor has threatened to veto it, uh, Senator uh, Kuehl is withholding it until she reintroduces it next year. Uh, what it provides, what the bill provides for, and it's uh, an excellent model of single pair. There's a uh, bill in the House of Representatives, HR 676, that's very, very similar to the uh, bill uh, for single payer in California. Okay. What it provides is this for, the Con- is that the Conyers bill? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Right. Uh huh. Right. John Conyers of uh, Michigan, uh, Michigan representative from Michigan, introduced it in the House. Now, what it um, provides for is, uh, first of all, universality. Uh, the only requirement to qualify for uh, SB 840, should it become law, is to be able to prove that you're a resident of California. And we think a final form of the bill will uh, need to, uh, uh, the uh, people will need to show that they've been a resident for three months. Uh, and that's all that's required. Uh and that's 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 legal, illegal, anybody. Well, yeah. If you know, immigration often comes up. Uh, immigration problems often come up as a question about how to handle uh, how to handle that in the context of uh, universal health care in California. And uh, mo- uh, the feeling most of us have is that immigration is a separate problem. And uh, for instance, I volunteer at a, a free clinic in uh, Sonoma County. And we see patients with no resources whatsoever. And uh, one question we never ask is uh, questions about documentation, because the point is uh, these are people uh, who need health care, and uh, that's that's our only interest. In and as you write in as you write in your article, there's a moral issue of of health care justice. Well, there certainly is. Certainly is. Uh, the United Nations Charter, Article 23, I believe it is, states that. Uh, the United Nations considers uh, health care to be a human right. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're uh, a little behind most other countries who agree with that in the United States, and we hope we're going to move to that uh, point. Mm-hmm. At any rate, the, um, uh, first of all, the uh, act will be universal, will cover everyone. Uh, secondly, uh, it will uh, uh, Benefits will not be determined on any basis other than uh, what is medically needed by the people in the plan. In other words, it doesn't matter if someone has had a pre-existing condition or not, they're still covered. It doesn't matter if they change jobs, they're still covered. It doesn't matter if they move to some other place in the state, they're still covered. It doesn't matter if they're in an abusive marriage and they get divorced and lose their spouse's health care coverage, should there be any, uh, they're still covered. So it's uh, what we call continuous and portable. Uh, the other very important thing is that it should be affordable to society, and it should be affordable to the individual. And uh, the affordability of the plan, SB 840, has been worked out very well and reviewed by a respected uh, national business group, the Lewin Group, 
which, by the way, has uh, looked at uh, single-payer in California twice and showed that it's quite feasible. Uh, first of all, as far as affordability to society is concerned, uh, I can go into these details later. Right now, the medical bill, quote-unquote, for California is $186 billion, $186 billion. That was in the most recent year that we have data for, uh, 2005. And in the first year of its operation, uh, should it have been, say, passed in 2005, uh, the medical bill for California would have been about $8 billion less, but everybody would be covered. So that's, so, a, so that's, a, that's a striking difference. I mean, oh, an amazing difference. Just a striking difference, yeah. Right. And, and what's more, for those of us who do practice medicine and have to, have to try to tailor our, our, our intentions toward the paperwork we end up having to do, I mean, it, and we'd even, I mean, not trying to get off the hook on terms of what we have to do, but it would, it, the, the nonsense part of it, it would just, it would just free us up so much as a, as a culture to be able to really reach out and give service rather than give service mindful of the consequences of it. That's exactly right. Right. That it really frees us from that. And uh, I'll get into uh, some of the savings over what I must say is a very, very wasteful system that we have operating now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing would be affordability to individuals, and the Lewin Group has worked out that, on average, uh, the uh, cost to individuals, say, compared with our current system, uh, if SB 840 were enacted, uh, on average, individuals in the state would uh, spend $340 less and they're paying on, paying on health care now for health care premiums, for out-of-pocket expenses, co-pays, deductibles, et cetera, et cetera. And the way they line that up in, the, in your article of O2 now, this, they say that, 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 that this is for people with incomes less than $100,000, and then they have another thing for 100, 150, and then they, they would be a slight increase. And yeah. then for the people over 150, there would be an increase of $3,000. Yeah. So, and that it, still stands. Right. Uh, and and so, so basically what you're telling our listeners is is that, that – the, by the vast majority of people, this would be a, a less expensive but, but much more fully comprehensive system. Well, see, that's the point. If, uh, uh, for instance, if uh, someone's in that uh, category and they make about $200,000, <coughs> sorry, and um, they're concerned because it'll be costing them on average maybe about $3,000 more uh, than people who make less than them. Uh, then we go to the other uh, really fascinating and extremely important part of SB 840, the benefits. Uh, and uh, if under the current system, the same people in that uh, ca- income category paid that $3,000, they might possibly be able to afford the benefits that SB 840 uh, will uh, offer. It's a uh, extremely comp- comprehensive plan. Uh, in that, uh, and it's worth it even going through some of these things. It is, it is. I mean, you've, you've got in, inpatient, outpatient care, laboratory and x-ray, prescription drugs, yeah. durable long-term care, except room and board, yeah. long-term d- uh, daycare treatment, and so on, psychological counseling, and, interest, and also chiropractic even, physical well, therapy. We, we have chiropractic. We have dentistry. Dentistry. Uh, yeah, we have uh, all uh, ophthalmic, ophthalmic services. We have complete uh, mental health services, which is very, very hard uh, to get under our current insurance plan. Right. 
so the benefits, uh, these, I like to call them a Cadillac uh, package of benefits, which mm-hmm. probably can be bought now uh, from a health insurance company, but I don't know what the premium would be. I think it would be staggering. Well, it, w- it would be. And, of course, the thing is that what, what I hear people when they look at the benefit list, uh, John, uh, they say, oh, it, c- it can't possibly be A, or B, they say there's going to be a, a numbers cruncher somewhere that's going to say, okay, you can only – because they're so used to the old system, they're going to say – there's a, the, the number cruncher is going to say, okay, well, you get you know, three – Mental health visits in a you know in a in a six month period. In other words, they're going to be the number crunchers are going to so far crunch it down that that so that that's the typical claim. Well, you know, the thing is, Ned, it's almost too good to be true. But if you look at the uh, details of the Lewin report, and I would invite invite anybody to do that. Uh, you, I don't. I'm sorry, I have their uh, e- uh, their um, website or their uh, address, but. Uh, it's the Lewin Group, and I'm sure you can easily find it, L-E-W-I-N. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's beautifully laid out in their report. It was done twice. Once it was done in 1999 for something called the Health Care Options Project that the state of California uh, mandated. Uh, and uh, it's a, it was a single-payer plan, extremely similar to this one. In mm-hmm. fact, I think um, most of uh, Sheila Kuehl's SB 840 was predicated on that 1999 uh, right. option. And how we're going to pay for this, John, is we're going to pay for this on a, we're still going to do the dollar a pack on the tobacco and and yeah. uh, the what we're going to do what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, it's uh, going to be shared responsibility. That's a buzzword these days, shared responsibility. And I think everybody pretty much agrees with that. Okay. It's going to be everybody's responsibility. It's going to the employer's responsibility. It's going to be the worker's responsibility. It's going to be uh, the responsibility in uh, many ways that I'll explain of the uh, pharmaceutical industry. The um, concept of employers being responsible for health insurance for the United States is a really antiquated idea. And as we all know, started in World War II, uh, there were uh, wage freezes, and the only way employers could attract uh, workers was to offer them health insurance since they couldn't offer them more money. And that just stuck. At one time, over 80% of the people in the United States received their health care through their employer. Uh, But now that's dwindled to under 60%, uh, and everybody else is scrambling for themselves trying to see what they can do as far as getting health care, health insurance. So is the payroll stack tax of 8% on businesses grossing more than $75,000 annually? Is that still part of the plan? Yeah, it'll be about 8%, might be less. And then uh, there'll be a um, uh, uh, tax on individuals of under 4% of income, which, um, as I pointed out before, is still uh, significantly less than people are paying for health care now. And I have to go back to that extra added benefit that everybody's insured. That's wonderful. John, we're going to need to take a little bit of a break right here. We hope you can stay with us for a couple of minutes while we do slip away for our our PSAs, and we'll be back with you here in just a minute. Can you stay with us, John? Sure, be glad to. Thanks so much. Thank you. We'll be back with you in just a moment. You bet. We're here at KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. Please stay with us and be ready for your calls. Our call-in number for John Shear, uh, talking about single-payer, our call-in number is 933-9133. We'll be back with you in just a moment. If I can get this this to work. <coughs> Hold on. Oops. 
Well, it looks like my, my, I'm, let's see, here we go. Forgive me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not as skilled as I need to be with this whole project. Well, it looks like we're not going to take a break. Uh, so <laughs> I, I uh, managed to get lost in the computer here. So uh, staying, with our, staying with our topic, um, uh, let's keep going down the road. of, And I, that, that means our, we can also take our call-ins. Again, our call-ins are 933-9133. So anybody want to call in uh, for, to talk with Dr. John Shear, who's a, a family physician here in Sonoma County. He's president, he has, is president of the California Physicians Alliance and a state chapter of the Physicians for National Health Programs and also a, a volunteer and board member of the Jewish Community Free Clinic of, of Sonoma County, which is over in Santa Rosa, which has also a brand new and lovely office. How are you liking, liking the new office, John? Well, actually, it's an interim office, and it's quite adequate uh, and uh, better than our last facility in Katati. We're actually in Runner Park right now. Uh-huh. But uh, around the first of the year, we hope to uh, move into some... Uh, very nice, very long-term, perhaps even permanent uh, uh-huh. facilities. Uh, however, uh, basically, I really, in, uh, deep down inside, hope it's not permanent because I would hope the need for the free clinic would disappear. Ah, wouldn't that be lovely? I would hope be, that we would be 840 enacted, and no one would ever again have to worry about this. Right. So, again, coming back to uh, the topic here of, of the single-payer project, um, the you talk about the in your article you talk about the political course being difficult and, and maybe you could start to share with our listeners a little bit about your thoughts on how you actually see us getting this passed. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I think our biggest concern, worry, stumbling block is the fact that the only way that uh, SB eight forty single payer in general can work is that. Uh, the insurance companies have to be uh, removed from the equation. Uh, it seems glaring that that's the situation. Uh, virtually none of the single-payer systems in the other developed countries, industrialized countries, uh, have, uh, have private health insurance involved. And uh, we have a figure for what we consider to be a huge waste uh, in that uh, the... Um, Health insurance industry uh, removes 20 to 30 percent of the uh, premium dollar uh, from uh, health care, which, which it was intended for, right. and uh, takes that out as administrative cost, as profit, as marketing, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, there would be none of that at all in uh, SB 840. It's estimated that it the uh, cost of administering SB 840 would be something like the cost of administering Medicare, which has never been over 3% of the tax dollar. And in fact, built into SB 840 is a restriction that no more than 5% of its budget can be spent for administration. Mm-hmm. It's against the law to spend more than 5%. And But it's also believed that adequate administration could be accomplished for that 5%. Oh, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. So this is, we're, not, we're, not, we're not saying that, that this is going to have to be a skimpy operation. It's... Or from it. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, uh, the, you know, there's some, there are some very thoughtful things in SB 840. One of them is a retraining program for people who lose their jobs in the in- insurance industry. Really? Yeah. And uh, it, there's, uh, there are funds written into the law to help with that. And don't forget, uh, we'd have to uh, build an infrastructure. And uh, we have the example of uh, Australia when it went to a, a government uh, program 
it ended up hiring most of the people displaced in the insurance industry to um, run the government program. And I think that that's very meaningful because people would feel that the, that, that the government taking this over, there's, there's sort of a reflex, a negative reflex against what they would call restraint of trade. And uh, so I imagine that there was a just there's a whole sort of emotional reflex that private you know, enterprise shouldn't be uh, you know replaced. Uh, and but as you say, if if in fact as you taking your uh, comment at face value that that a good number of these people uh, would be part of the larger system, just simply you know brought over into the into the the state system, that this this would make a if people really realize that deeply in their cellular structure. They might be able to let go of the sort of property, the private property aspect of healthcare, which of course seems to be for me the biggest challenge. So many people say it's, they think of it sort of as my thing, and if it somehow is no longer my thing, if it's the government's thing, well then we're in trouble. Well, but I, I don't know. I consider myself uh, as a uh, citizen of the United States, part of the government, because I helped make the decision. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I feel a, a lot more. Um, Involved as a citizen decision maker than I do dealing with, uh, for instance, a health insurance company. <laughs> Quite so. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I think the major political concern is um, let's call it what it is: fear of the reaction of the insurance industry, which is threatened with its existence. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a multi-multi-billion-dollar industry, and there are there is a lot at stake. So. We have the uh, Clinton plan of uh, the early 90s uh, as an example of what the insurance companies can do to create negative public opinion about a federal plan. Not that the Clinton plan was all that great. Uh, Some of the things the insurance companies uh, said about uh, leveled at it (laughs) uh, were uh, valid. Uh, But uh, so people fear the insurance companies. Our politicians fear the insurance companies, and uh, in California they brought us a couple of plans, the governor's plan and uh, AB8, most recently vetoed by the government about five days ago, mm-hmm. uh, from, the as- from the assembly side. Uh, and this is to keep the insurance companies involved, so therefore it doesn't fulfill any of the qualifications of a universal health plan, of uh, uh, Portability of uh, guaranteed issue of uh, adequate benefits, certainly all the things that we've been talking about that SB forty single payer would uh, furnish. So it's it's just it's just it's such a poor cousin. It's it's it's, it's in fact the, the 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 private systems are truly the poor cousin of the public system, really. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah. And so I, you know, my message is take heart. Uh, the uh, uh, what's the future of single payer? What's the future future of SBA forty? Uh, well, it'll be reintrodu- reintroduced uh, next year. Uh, it'll probably need a veto-proof majority uh, to approve of it in the California legislature. Mm-hmm. Uh, that depends on a whole lot of political things, uh, maybe change in complexion uh, of the uh, legislature in some way during the elections. Et cetera, et cetera. Do you do you envision that's going to it's going to absolutely ne- have a, of necessity replace the governor to get this through the through the door there? Yeah, I, yeah, it really looks like it. Yeah. Uh, the uh, governor is adamant about uh, not wanting socialized medicine, which it is not, by the way. It's private uh, private medicine uh, funded by government funds. Right. But uh, and 
I would just compliment the governor on the fact that he's a um, sterling physical example of a product of the socialized medicine system, which is what he grew up with in Austria. <laughs> right, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> right. So, at any rate, it can't be all bad, but it's not socialized. Right, right. So, so uh, the, it, the other possibility, too, is that uh, we may arrive at a, a state where uh, it becomes a ballot initiative. Mm hmm. And then, yeah, there's a strategy for that. We'll we'll just have to see uh, what develops. Right. And um, who knows if there's right. a change in complexion in the uh, federal government? Uh, right. Maybe sooner than we think. Something like HR six seven six It could could move it move the whole thing down the road quite a lot. Yeah. Um, so, in terms of your involvement with uh, patient care, in terms of the the free clinic that you work at, the Jewish Free Clinic. Maybe you might want to tell our listeners a little bit about what that work is about, because they, we, we had your, actually your director on our program here, oh, some months ago, uh-huh. actually maybe over a year ago or so. And uh, so tell our listeners a little bit about how you function in that, in that environment. Are you, you're a consultant, or do you, do you actually go there physically, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, well, we, uh, it's an all-volunteer organization, physicians, nurses, social workers, uh, nurse practitioners, et cetera, uh, and that includes translators, re- receptionists. Uh, right, everybody. Is a volunteer. Except for the director, I think. Uh, yeah, yes, that, exactly right. Yeah, We have, uh, I think, two or three paid employees that are half-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're entirely supported by donations, uh, and uh, we don't deal with money. Uh, we don't uh, take Medi-Cal. We don't, uh, we don't take patients who have Medi-Cal. They have resources they can handle. Mm-hmm. So the only people we see are uh, people with uh, no resources whatsoever, no, no public assistance, no insurance, and no money. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a unique niche of people that uh, really need help. Uh, I, I personally go in and volunteer as a physician. I actually see the patients, mm-hmm. as uh, many of many uh, volunteer doctors there do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we uh, have three clinics a week, uh, try to see as many folks as we can. And uh, in the interest of good medicine, we try very hard at each patient visit to find a quote-unquote medical home for our patients, uh, that is somewhere where they can get continued care. You know, we're just there for uh, our clinic hours. Uh, probably nobody's going to answer the phone after hours, and if anybody's having a problem, we're not there to help. So we really want to find a continuing medical care for them. So each patient goes out with a very definite plan of where they might go uh, mm-hmm. at reduced uh, uh, charges, at no charge, mm-hmm. uh, certain government agencies, Et cetera, et cetera. Right, right. So it's it's really been, uh, and you, you have quite a substantial patient population there that goes through there on an annual basis. Uh, yeah, most recent year that we counted, we had two thousand patient visits, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know, to me, that's that's making a dent in the problem. Really. Yeah, right. It's yeah. just uh, scratching it almost. Yeah. yeah. And well, um, is there anything more that we should cover in terms of the the the, the SB eight forty and the the delight? And we didn't get a call, so there, we we've had this extra time to to talk about universal health care. Is there anything that's kind of current on the on the the horizon or current in the in present moment that yeah that, that, well there, yeah there's some current things Ned, but uh, not anything meaningful. The uh, governor um, we all held our breath last Tuesday. He called a press conference at two thirty, and we thought, oh gosh, what's he going to do to us? Right. Because they had been in special session, secret session, right. uh, hammering, trying to hammer out some kind of health care plan. And uh, 
we also heaved a sigh of relief because he just uh, had some embellishments of his, um, you should excuse the expression, unworkable plan that he uh-huh. had to propose for us. Right. And uh, so those things, um, we're going to keep hearing about that. Uh, universal health care is a buzzword now. Everybody's for it. Everybody's running for president on that uh, ticket of universal health care. Everybody's running for U.S. Senate on it. And, of course, they're misusing the term. The governor's plan, for instance, is nowhere near universal. AB8, which he vetoed. So the citizens are going to have to look look closely at this matter. They're not going to have, in other words, instead of, they're not going to be able to go on a buzzword uh, basis. They're going to actually. No, it just won't work. Unfortunately, it's a fairly complicated thing. But, uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much time I've got. But well, you, you got time. Well, but uh, briefly, I started probably started working on this mostly in 1994 with Proposition Proposition 186, which, as mm-hmm. you recall, was the universal health care right. plan on the ballot uh, for California, which was defeated when the state wasn't ready for it. Uh, the thing that we heard so much in those days was, well, why should I take a chance on this? My husband has excellent insurance through his work. Right. And I wonder now, all these years later, where that person is today. Good does question. her husband still have good health insurance? Right. Do, does she have any health insurance? What happened to her? Because the problem is getting worse and worse and worse. Crisis, Nan, hardly describes it. Well, it, what I see in my practice is as people come in and they, they talk about their, their insurance, they, they, instead of imagining that they have something they, they feel have, they have real coverage for, what they really seem to say one way or the other, they say they're glad to have any coverage at all. Yeah. You know, and and so the, the the conversation has been, oh, I've got good a good policy at my office or my work or my husband or something. Now, what they're telling me anyway is that I'm glad to have any at all. Yeah. And and what's more, not only am I glad to have it, my husband or my wife or whoever it is that the is the has got the insurance linked to the business, we have to stay at that job because we we don't dare, you know. And of course, so I I think that I mean people have been just. Uh, 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 what's the word? T- terrified by the whole d- the whole drama of healthcare, and I guess one of the uh, one of the big things that for me stands up is 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 this is this nonsense that somehow that we have to somehow be terrified about this whole thing, and that we have to have people fat cats in offices somewhere that control the spigot on this whole business. So uh, it just just seems absurd to me. So uh, I'm a single payer advocate for a lot of reasons, that being one of them, but. Um, I don't know what more we should say about this, but I do know that if there's any, is there anything upcoming that we should be paying attention to particularly? Uh, no, it's, you're going to be hearing uh, a lot of noise that's not going to mean very much. But uh, okay. uh, just maybe to finalize, let, yes, let me please. say that this is really, we're really talking about a public health problem. This is really a public health problem, this that, crisis that's how it that seems we have. To, yes. And uh, the Institute of Medicine, a respected government agency, has found that 18,000 Americans die per year for no reason other than the fact that they do not have access to health care through uh, health insurance. Mm-hmm. And as it turns out, that's the seventh leading cause of death in the United States after cancer, heart disease, and some other illnesses. So please tell me that that's not a public health problem. That's a huge public health problem, and it's got to be solved publicly. Well, with that, John, and that's well said, I'm so grateful that you took some time with us and you gave us uh, some good in- insight and information on the on Sheila Kuehl's bill, SB 840, the, Sal- the California U- Universal Health Care Act. We've been talking with John R. Shear, family medicine practitioner in Sonoma County. 
And uh, John, I first when I met John over at the uh, Progressive Festival at at um, uh, in Petaluma there several weeks ago, I was. I just, as soon as I looked at you, I know this was a man I wanted to talk to, and, and so you came through for me, John. I'm so much appreciative. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And it, it's always, to me, very important to get this message out, man. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll keep, a, keep our ears tuned, and we'll look forward to more from John down the road. Great. Thanks thank you, much. Dr. Shear. Good day, sir. Bye. So, that's our, that's our discussion of single payer with uh, Dr. John Shear. And uh, I think he—he's the—he's the vision of, well, at least for me, of what the physician that I want to go when I go into a physician. Or one of the pictures that I want to have is the, is a alert, uh, kindly gentleman who can listen to you, who can counsel you, who can give you guidance, who can understand what your needs are. And as I, I saw saw Dr. Shear sitting across the table. Uh, holding up uh, the, or that is, uh, sitting by the uh, single-payer information, I thought to myself, yes, this is the man I want to have on our program. So he did share with us, for those of you listeners who didn't call, who wanted to call, uh, sorry about that, but we, we do want you to be part of the show, and so I want to remind our listeners that we do take call-ins almost on a weekly basis, almost always between uh, 12, strike that, 120 and 140. So uh, when you do hear a, a program that interests you, I would be happy to have your call and your questions. Our call-in number is 933-9133. Now, in just a minute, we'll be joined by uh, Joan Hugard, who's going to be telling us about the uh, Department of Peace program that was last weekend that I couldn't attend myself. But in the meantime, before then, I'm going to read uh, some uh, material that's talking about some Chinese medicine principles for fall. It's called Autumn Acupuncture and Natural Methods Healthcare. The, wind, the weather is cool and crisp. The sun is beginning to set earlier. The leaves are turning vivid hues of red, orange, and yellow. Fall has arrived, and now is the time to harvest the bounty that grew during the summer so we can store up for the cold winter ahead. It is a time to organize, work hard, and finish projects that you began in spring and summer. One of the most beautiful aspects of traditional Chinese medicine is as a tool to live harmoniously with the seasons. Ancient Chinese physicians observed the natural science cycles of seasons and recorded the best everyday practices for, for staying healthy and harmonizing our own energy with that of the environment. In the three months of autumn, all things in nature reach their full maturity. The grains ripen, the harvesting occurs. The heavenly energy cools as does the weather. The wind begins to stir. This is the changing or pivoting point when the yang or active phase turns into its op opposite, the yin, passive phase. Our, one should retire with the sun and arise uh, with the dawn. Just as the weather in autumn turns harsh, so does the emotional climate. It is therefore important to remain calm and peaceful, re refraining from depression, so one can make the transition to winter focused and not allow desires to run wild. One must keep the lung, and et lung energy free, full, clean, and quiet. This means practicing breathing exercises to enhance the lung chi. It also also, one should refrain from smoking and grief, the emotion of the lung. This will prevent the kidney or digestive problems of winter. If the natural order is violated, damage will occur to the lungs, resulting in diarrhea with undigested food in winter. 
This compromises the body's ability to store in winter. This is from the Huang Ti Ni Ching. This is the traditional Chinese book of medicine. Fall is a season associated with uh, as a time of reflection. According to, ch to Chinese uh, medicine, the reflective time, the, the so-called the metal element, M-E-T-A-L, like like metal, uh, iron, and ore, and things like that, this governs the mind. Organize organization, order, and stability. We tend to be more reflective, turning inward to our work, our families, and our homes during this time. It is a time to organize and prepare for winter season ahead, and it's time to reflect on our lives. Emotionally, this is a season associated with grief and sadness. It is important to keep the mind clear and let go of negative emotions, which can impact health more strongly during the fall. Uh, in the fall, eat fewer cold, uncooked foods. Um, good. Somebody's here to to save me on the computer, which I was struggling with. Switch from salads to soups, steamed vegetables, such as winter squash and winter peas. Um, I lost it here. Stay with me. Uh, winter peas, broccoli, and sweet potatoes and yams. Incorporate yellow and red foods into your meal. Start your day with hot oatmeal. Here are some warm and nourishing foods and herbs to add to your fall diet. Apple, banana, beets, bell pepper, bok choy, broccoli, uh, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, uh, carrots, cauliflower, cinnamon, cranberry, figs, garlic, ginger, grapes, horseradish, leeks, pears, persimmons, plums, pomegranate, pumpkin, red cabbage, rosemary, sage, spinach, thyme, whole grains, wild rice, winter squash, and yang, yeah, yang, yam, forgive me. So that was a list of desirable foods um, that one could take upon oneself. And now it looks like we have Joan Hugard with us. So let's, by all means, let's talk to Joan. Are you there? I am here. Well, Joan, what a pleasure to have you with us on, on Health Matters today. Thank you. Thanks so Good much. to be here. And, well, it's a treat. And, and, of course, all of our listeners who do read the, who read the Sun, either physically or online or however they get it, they know just Joan. So... Just Joan, you've been with the paper now, was it coming up on two years? Uh, probably about three and a half years. Oh, I've been that shows. With the paper. And, uh, and your, 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 your columns are so often uh, personal reflections on stories of your travel, stories of your social conscience, and stories of. How do you, how do you see your stories in the paper? Maybe I should <laughs> ask you. I mean. I love uh, variety. Yes. I love the opportunity to write about a whole assortment of things. Uh -huh. um, it's important to the paper that I stay connected with our little town of Sonoma, but um, I think I do that in various ways. Uh, having been to these places myself, well, I, I think um, you do. I think you do too. And I, <laughs> I, every time I read your column. At 85, 90% of the time, I leave the column, I feel like I've had a, a visit with you, a personal visit with you, but I've also had a, a lesson, you know, a, 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 a lesson in social conscience, a lesson in observation, a lesson in listening. Well, your words are music to my ears, Ned. <laughs> I think that's uh, you're reflecting what my goal is. Uh -huh. I, I want to help people understand uh, what's going on in the world that we normally don't hear enough about through 
the normal channels mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. media information. I agree. I agree. And and there's something utterly utterly human and 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 sort of bite-sized about how you speak and yet you inc- somehow in that bite size you get to include the whole world uh, so coming to the picnic that was last weekend that i unfortunately was unable to attend this was a picnic uh, maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit about what the picnic was for and just sort of go into that space if you would okay well there has been a movement uh, abroad in the country for some time to create a national um, cabinet post, a Department of Peace. And people in Northern California have been very active about it. We have here in Sonoma, it's a relatively new movement because um, a couple of our Sonoma residents, Melissa Mulcahy and Terry Garbarino, uh, just kind of get, got connected with it about a year and a half ago, but in the other parts of our Northern California, people have been at it for a while, and the, those other folks who are organizers and leaders of this movement were very impressed with what they saw happening in Sonoma, and they selected Sonoma to be the site for the first annual uh, Department of Peace Movement picnic, mm-hmm. and that was held, and we had um, we had a wonderful turnout. We had probably counting from start to end about sixty folks showed up. Splendid! It it was splendid, and not only Sonomans, and including a lot of Sonomans that uh, none of us had ever encountered before. <laughs> Well, that I'm also happy to hear that because, of course, we've been talking about the picnic for each week here at the here at the Health Matters program, and of course, it's, I'm sure it's come up in other places as well. So we were mm-hmm. glad that there was a good crowd. Shall we so say? So you see, you're effective. Well, we're trying. <laughs> yeah. And then we also had people coming from a distance. We had people from um, as far away as Palo Alto and um, Oh Walnut Creek and. Uh, Sebastopol. I'm. I'm not going to be able to remember the sure. names of everywhere, but sure. Uh, but some people it was, traveled it, quite a distance. It was a. It was a widely disseminated and 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 well represented uh, by other areas than just our local immediately local area here. Definitely so. And what can you talk about the theme of the of the picnic itself, other than just the Department of Peace in a general sense? Um, let me tell you how how they started the program, please. Because a woman named Mar- Margie Henderson, who is a Sonoma person, led us in song, which was lovely. We stood in a big circle in the beginning, and uh, she taught us a new song. And I won't be able to quote the song for you, but it was just a lovely, lovely song about the various elements and how they represent peace. And she talked to us before we sang about the um, the idea that all these elements that make up our world it's it's an intrinsic na- nature of all these elements the earth the water the skies uh, to be peaceful our intrinsic nature the attachment to the world you were just um, kind of talking about that just before I came on, uh, that the elements of nature 
are uh, so that harmony is, harmony is natural in the world harmony is a natural thing yeah right and uh, something we want to strive for so the department of peace concept is really exciting for me i i think i said at the at the event saturday that um i'm passionately caring that this comes about because if you can imagine um an actual cabinet post that gathers uh information about conflict resolution programs that are working and and uh disseminates that information so that those uh, programs that work can be used in more and more and more places. Uh, imagine having um, a national model for what can happen when you deal with violence. And we're talking about domestic violence and right. gang violence and, and what happens in the prisons and so all the sophistication, all the sophisticated, and heartfelt training and 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 insight and wisdom that those who choose to practice peace or choose to teach and learn themselves and choose to uh, work with their inner nature in such a way as to facilitate and foster this, these these forces could be like like uh, the seeds that could be revealed. They could be sort of planted in the soil of our culture in a way where we have such a we have a, a such a culture a Dar- Darwinian you know commerce culture which is of course it, it's it, it's intended to be adversarial yeah. and it's intended to be violent in, in, in a way that we maybe don't always acknowledge. But it, when we look at all the poor people and we look at all the way things work, we can see a violence in the way our culture works. And so this Department of Peace would be. At least, potentially, a, a cultural transformative element. And and as you say it, I love the uh, uh, image of planting the seeds, because I think this is truly more in tune with our nature than that culture of violence. Right. And so, I believe people people are good, and people want to do things that are constructive and helpful in in their world. People want to make a difference. Right. I really believe that. And so this is an avenue through which they can have tools and training and understanding and uh, really make a difference. And so, again, the, so the, the, the picnic was there at Depot Park. People sort of stood up and, and said things. There were presentations, I suppose, people talking yes, and, and so on. we had uh, our opening circle with the songs and then uh, some introductions, and we all had a chance to... Um, say our names and say what brought us there. Mm-hmm. And then we um, d- dispersed to our picnic tables and the wonderful, wonderful potluck lunch that was there. I love potlucks. Sure. <laughs> um, wonderful food. They had. Uh, they were cooking wonderful chicken. And all the time, well, we, we had a little time for eating. And then even while we were eating, they began sharing other things with us because there was so much to tell us about. Mm-hmm. For example, the regional um, leader, I, I haven't got her title, but um, Maggie Coran right. had been to Japan. And, and matter of fact, Maggie called me when she came back, and she's going to be. On, I hope she's going to be on our program next week, as a matter of fact. Fabulous. So, uh, yeah. She'll tell you all about what happened in Japan and the amazing... Uh, the amazing turnout and the amazing things that happened there. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, 
other people shared what's going on in their communities. And one of the things that was exciting for me was uh, a gentleman named Matthew Albrecht, who used to live in Windsor, but I think he's in Oakland now. But um, he's very active in this and, and working with the organization that is um, putting this together. Wonderful. And they are uh, planning a summer of peace in San Francisco for next summer. Mm-hmm. And the ultimate possibility out of this summer of peace might be that the city of San Francisco will actually have a Department of Peace. Mm-hmm. Well, that's kind a, of that's a, a forerunner and a do you, do you have national any, model. Do you have any contact for this gentleman uh, that we oh, can sure. share with our listeners? Um, hmm, not ready. Not, at not, hand. not right at hand. Okay. Well, we can we can assume that the Department of Peace. Uh, yes, the will... Department of Peace uh, contact is uh, well. I'm not sure I have that right in front of me either. I, but okay. Well, I, I I have the. It's called thepeacealliance.org. 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 That's, that's it. Well, we, ha- we, we have just about another 30 oh. seconds here, uh, Joan. So is there any kind of final thought you want to share with our listeners? Um, well, we, we, we have this culture of violence that uh, so many of us are so distressed by and so worried about our children and our grandchildren. And I even have two great-grandchildren growing up in this culture. I would so much rather they grow up in a culture that understands and loves and embraces peace and harmony. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to leave it. Joan, it's a great pleasure to have you on Health Matters, and thanks so much for taking the time for us. Sure, Ned. It was my pleasure. All right. Looking forward to seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye now. Bye. Well, that was Joan Hugard, the uh, wonderful columnist from the Sonoma Sun, our sister, our sister organization here at KSVY, and she... Uh, shared with us uh, her reflections on last weekend's uh, special Department of Peace picnic that was at, at Depot Park on Saturday. I wanted Before I left today, I wanted to remind our listeners of the upcoming watershed walk and celebration. Uh, this is the Sonoma Ecology Center's uh, program that's uh, run by Arthur Dawson, typically, and uh, you can go to sonomaecology.org for more information, but it's just a wonderful thing starting on the 18th, which is, uh, I think, day after tomorrow, which is Thursday. Uh, there's a There are walks. Uh, there's a huge list of things, um, and you can call Arthur Dawson at 996-0712, extension 111, uh, or go to sonomaecologycenter.org for more information. But this is a, the watershed walk and celebration will create a moving human thread from the headwaters of Sonoma Creek to the bay. Connecting our citizens with the land and each other in a unique unique way, the walk brings diverse elements of our community together in a single event as artists, scientists, community members, offering a wide variety of perspectives on Sonoma Valley. There will be workshops on Thule boat building, nature writing, and landscape art, dance and poetry performances, creek walks led by environmental scientists, a community sing-along, talks on local native history and culture, communal meals, and a nightly open mic it's bilingual, I'm told. There'll be activity at all levels, and um, uh, there's a list here that's just a giant list of many, many things, and all weekend, and even there's a special program that goes all the way till uh, Sunday. So it's uh, Thursday the 18th to Sunday the 21st, and I was supposed to particularly point out there's the family events that are taking place this Saturday, the 20th, 
Activities for all ages meet in front of the Boys and Girls Club. There's a landscape art workshop with textile artist uh, Lori G- Goldman. There's a sing-along with Eleanor uh, Decker. The, I should say that uh, Lori Goldman uh, piece is from 12.30 to 2.30 p.m. That's the landscape art workshop. Then there's a sing-along. This is, again, all at Maxwell Park, the uh, uh, Boys and Girls Club. Then the sing-along with Eleanor Decker at 3 p.m., Environmental Songs and Fun. Then there's the Buto dance performance at 4 p.m. by an improvisational dancer, that white-painted dancer. Uh, and then there's an evening meal at uh, Flowery School. This is at 6 p.m. On, in Agua Caliente. Enjoy tamales, local produce, bring a potluck dish, so on and so forth. So I really encourage all our listeners to who have an interest to, to go to sonomaecology.org and, and look around on the page. I didn't do it myself because I have the schedule in front of me here, but look look at that and see if that might be something for you and your family for this next few days. And I want to remind our listeners, we're always interested in what you want us to do here at Health Matters. If you have thoughts for us, please give us a give us an email at ksvyhealth at aol.com so we can hear from you and get some feedback because we are trying every week to bring you interesting things, uh, interesting people to listen to, interesting programs, but we need your feedback. We need some uh, energy from the public to let us know what it is that you would like us to do and so that we can, uh, if we can, to do those things. So that said, again, our email address is ksvyhealth at aol.com. And in the meantime, if you cannot pacify your spirit and let your mind be complicated with desires and worries, your disease will not be cured. To be healthy, you must avoid anger and worry Keep your mind happy, your heart at ease, and your desires at low levels. That's, again, the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine. And, again, our Health Matters motto is, healthcare isn't a noun, it's a verb. So go do it, folks, and be with us again next week here at Health Matters, KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to having you again with us next week. Bye-bye now.